I'm proud of him. And I'm so thankful to God that he's kind and faithful. Uh, my kids are um, younger than I am. <laughs> and they're always on me. I'm a, I'm a, and I'm an old dog from the 70s. Uh, anybody? Does anybody know for a fact that that's the best music? 70s music? Okay, good, good. The rest of you have tuned me out. Um, but I, I, my kids are on me all the time. Dad, you're, you're stuck. And uh, is this on here? Okay. Had a flashback, sorry. And, uh... They, my birthday was in July, and they got me a birthday card that said, Dad, if you don't get with the program, we're going to put you in a home. <laughs> and then you open up the card, and it says, we're not kidding. <laughs> and I've, through the years, I, you know, I've always tried to have songs of encouragement for the church, things that will lift you up, stuff like, you know, and from my era, uh, stuff like... Hello, darkness, my old friend. I thought, that that's probably not going to encourage people. <laughs> How about, love on the rocks, ain't no surprise. Give me a drink and I'll tell you some lies. That ain't going to work. How about this one? This will be sure to lift you up. Mama, I just killed a man. I put a gun against his head, pulled my trigger, now he's dead. Eh, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> so I decided to get with the program. Now, I wanna sing one more for you, just real quick. And um, I don't do it right. And the, the reason that I don't sing these songs right is because then people will start expecting me to do it right. And uh, I get a lot of requests when I sing, but I sing anyway. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Lord, without you, I would have gone south. Drawing me in, now you're leading me out. Life had my head spinning, no kidding. I couldn't settle down. What was going on in my tormented mind? I was on the devil's evil mystery ride. And then your spirit hit me. Then you called me and I'll be all right. My head's under the water, but I'm breathing fine. You saved me when I was out of my mind. Cause all of me loves all of you. I love your death and resurrection. You heal my many imperfections. You gave your all to me. I give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Because I give you all of me. And you give me all of you. Ooh. And I say to my kids, take that. <laughs> How's that? Woo!
So help me now. Because all you me loves, I love your death and resurrection. You heal my many imperfections. You gave your all. I give my you're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Cause I give you mm. Sweetest candy. Do it again. I give you And you give me Yes, you do. Ooh. Yeah. I'm getting with the program. I was. I received a phone call from uh, the police department. I'm a chaplain with the police department in my area. And they told me that a local pastor had a tragedy in his family. His young daughter had taken her life. And I went down to the church, and I sat in that sanctuary while that pastor, that dad, eulogized his daughter, and I wept. I had a daughter the same age at the time. And when I left the building... I was struck with the idea that I wanted to reach out to this guy, but I didn't know him, and it bothered me. And so I began to reach out to pastors. I started buying gift cards, and I, I sent them to a bunch of pastors in our area, and I, I said, hey, why don't you take your wife out to dinner and don't talk about the church? That was my only condition. Because, you know, pastors, that's all they do. They live and breathe this thing. You, you ought to know that. Like when you're at the ball game, they're they're thinking about you, you know? It's, it's, just, it's just a part of this thing. It's the weight of the church. And so my, my only condition, look, enjoy a dinner on us, but don't talk about the church. And if any of those pastors wrote me back or thanked me, I would invite them out to a personal lunch or a dinner. And I'd buy them lunch, and I would say, hey, don't you think it would be more fun to do this together than apart? And from that effort, we got about... 12 to 15 pastors coming together every month. And this started to be a lot of fun. In fact, the, the pastor that, I, that his, pa his daughter passed away, he's my dear friend today. And we began to strategize and we began to look at our, our township and our county and, and we figured, hey, let's do some things together. And these were churches from different denominations. And we began to do some things. The first thing we did, and this was about 10 years ago, we began to do... Uh, backpacks and school supplies for kids you know it was during the tough economic times and so we came together about eight ten churches and we bought a bunch of stuff and 1500 people showed up freaked us out and they ate it we had hot we had tents we had uh, prayer tents we had food it was just a festival and we blessed the people then we said man that was awesome we were so excited to do something together and then we said we got to do something for easter so we rented out the high school auditorium or the gymnasium and we had an easter candy blast we built a tomb 
and all the kids had to walk through the tomb, you know, and the angels freaked them out and stuff. It was awesome. <laughs> and we gave out candy and we had games and 1,200 kids showed up along with their parents. And we're on a roll, man. We're like, we might be able to put a dent in this city if we keep it up. Not longer after that, one of the pastors called me and he said, hey, let's have lunch. I said, great. So we got together and we, you know, had a little, ordered some food and had a little small talk. And then he looked at me and he said, hey, Rick, I'm getting tired of the Rick show. That guy could have taken a shotgun and blew a three-inch hole through me. And I don't think it would have hurt as bad. I had this desire to see pastors work together and this particular pastor thought that I was somehow trying to elevate myself and make things about me and it nearly killed me to have him think that. Today I want to talk to you about a personal warfare that affects each one of us. Something that will effectively minimize your ability to make a difference in the kingdom of God. I'm ashamed to tell you that after that Easter candy blast that I told you about, and after that man accused me of the rickshaw, the next eight years went by. And I, we still had lunch together as pastors, but those luncheons stopped being strategy sessions and because of my unwillingness to speak up, because I was so mortified by the idea that these people would think that I was trying to elevate myself, I stopped saying anything. I stopped casting vision. I stopped having a, a desire to see us work together. And I sat there, and I ate chicken, and I told jokes with pastors. Two months ago, I spoke at a friend of mine's church. He's one of the pastors that's in that group. And we sat across and he said, hey, I'm concerned about the pastor's group. I said, so am I, Tom. And I began to tell him the story of what happened many years previous. And he looked at me and he said, Rick, that, that was a fiery dart. Now, as soon as he said that, a light went on because I know that the Bible talks about the adversary, the enemy of our soul, actually shooting fiery darts and that the shield of faith is able to extinguish the fiery darts. And a light bulb went on my head and I am ashamed to tell you that after 30 years in ministry and preaching the word of God and going to Bible school and reading the word of God that it never occurred to me in eight years that, that, that I'd been shot with a fiery dart. And I recognize the nature of fiery darts with believers that love God. Satan doesn't come out in the open and, you know, try to get you to backslide, try to get you to walk away from God because you're too smart. Most of you have already been there, you've done that, and you don't want it anymore. That's why you're serving Christ. And the devil knew that he wasn't going to be able to come to me and say, Hey, Bosnick, why don't you, you know, smoke some weed and, and start doing drugs again like you used to. I'm he knew I wasn't going to do that. And so he had a brother in the Lord shoot a dart that would render me ineffective. And I want to share something with you as I unfold this to you this morning. Listen, if, you're, if you've determined 
like Peter did. You remember when, when, when lots of people left Jesus and, and he said to Peter and the other disciples, he said, you going to leave me too? And Peter said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. If you're in that camp and you've decided I'm serving Jesus, I can assure you that the devil is unlikely going to come and try to get you to just fall back into your old ways because you're definitely, you're done with that. But what he will do is he will fire darts at you until they stick in you and render you, listen carefully, ineffective for the kingdom of God. I want to talk to you about a spiritual warfare that is powerfully affecting God's people. And I believe that there are many of you today that are going to get free. And you're going to receive a gift from God that you're going to appreciate for the rest of your life. I want to direct you to a scripture. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Let me read it for you and then we'll unpack it. Verse 3 says, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now that's a mouthful. I've heard about spiritual warfare and... and and, you know, if, if, if any of you have ever attended a Bible college, you know that, you know, it's, it's kind of like a free-for-all for every kind of thing that can go on in the church. I saw a lot of wild stuff. And, and most of the time, spiritual warfare was described as something that we're fighting in the heavenlies, something that we're fighting that, that we have to deal with, a, a, you know, a demon force, a, a principalities and powers. And I'm not suggesting those things aren't real. But the warfare that I'm going to talk to you about is much closer to home and much more subtle. In this particular scripture, Paul is teaching us a critical lesson of personal spiritual warfare that affects us in powerful ways. And we have to pay attention lest we find ourselves becoming puppets of the devil, taken captive to do his will. You understand that if the devil can't get you to full out serve him, he will put you in bondage in particular areas of your life to, once again, as I said before, render you ineffective. So that you're in the church, you're singing the songs, you're doing the deal, you're eating the hot dogs next week, but you're not effective. You're not making any difference in the kingdom because you've been shot, you're wounded in the spirit, and you're not even aware of it. Paul teaches that our warfare is different than the warfare of the world. The weapons that we use in the spirit are different. We don't use worldly arguments. We don't use uh, threats and, and, and violence, physical violence anyway. But we do have weapons. And the older, wiser brother teaches us that the weapons that we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. What the heck does that mean? What are we talking about here? What is a stronghold? It sounds impressive, man. I want some divine power. I don't know about you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess something to you. I've been in the church for 30 years, and I, and I went through a period of time, and still can from time to time, where I am extremely bored with church. 
I'm a pastor. I heard a story one time of a lady trying to get her husband to go to church. She said, you need to get up and go to church. He said, I'm not going. She said, you need to go. He said, listen, I'm not going to that church. Honey, you need to get up and go to church. She said, he said, give me one good reason I ought to go to church. And she said, because you're the pastor. <laughs> I get it. But this kind of stuff, this divine power to demolish strongholds fires me up. I get to fight finally. It's not all about doilies and old women and children anymore. It's about fighting warfare. I don't know about you, but I like Braveheart. Give me some gladiator and I'm happy. So we have these weapons and we have divine power to demolish strongholds. But what is really a stronghold? I've heard Christians for years bind strongholds and pull down strongholds as if the strongholds are somewhere out there and we can't really get a hold of them and they pull them down with their shouting and their aggressive praying and I understand where this comes from. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 3, he says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up or one version says binding the strong man and then he can plunder the strong man's house. The King James says it like this, we must first bind the strong man. And so we use that kind of terminology in spiritual warfare kinds of prayer meetings and so forth. And we say, we bind you, Satan. You've ever heard that before? Or we rebuke you. How many have ever rebuked the devil and he didn't buke? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. And I think lots of times... Folks, we, we learn this kind of language, but we don't really understand what we're doing. And we don't understand what it's about. What does it mean to bind a strong man? What does it mean to tear down or demolish a stronghold? How are we binding him? What are we binding him with? Where are his goods? What are we plundering? What are we trying to get back from the strong man's house? I think they're good questions. What's the relationship between a strong man and a stronghold? Let me see if I can make some sense of this for you. As we look closer at 2 Corinthians 10.5, we learn that the divine power we have is used to demolish what? Is anyone breathing? We demolish what? And what else? Now, you know what an argument is, because, you know, some of you had them on the way to church. Turn the music down! What, we, we get an argument. What's a pretension? I mean, after all, this is what we're supposed to be demolishing, right? A pretension, I looked it up, is an attempt to make something that is not true appear true. That's a pretension. So we're learning that we have divine power to demolish strongholds that are made up of arguments and pretensions. So stick with me here. Where are these arguments and pretensions coming from? I suggest to you that they're coming from a strong man. What the heck is that? What does that mean? Let me illustrate. In ancient Greece, I learned this. They, they were known for their wisdom and they, they prided themselves on their great insight. The philosophers of that day are still known to us even now. And they would 
enter into what are called diatribes. A diatribe is a strong verbal argument. And so it would work like this. I, I might have a group of, of followers, like, like maybe this side of the church are, are my followers. Over here are followers of, of Wally. All right. So me and, me and Dr. Wally get up together, and we start to strongly, verbally argue. Now, his point is totally different than my point. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to win his followers over to my side. And so I make my argument, and we argue. And this goes on for days and weeks. And I try to win some of his disciples. He's trying to win some of mine. We're not going to let it happen. But this is going back and forth and back and forth. It's called the diatribe. I want to suggest to you that in the case of spiritual warfare, the devil will use an argument or a pretension against us like a diatribe. It might be something someone says, like, like the pastor said to me, the rickshaw. It takes the form of a fiery dart that enters our minds and our hearts and begins to fester and ultimately affects our behavior. It's important to understand that the devil is way too smart, as I've said, to engage you in open warfare. You, you owe too much. You know too much. So you know that God loves you. Some of you are quite familiar with God's word. So what does he do? He comes in disguise. The Bible says that the devil has the ability to masquerade as an angel of light, a minister of righteousness. So the devil can use a brother in Christ. Remember what he said to Peter when, the, when Peter said, You'll never, you won't go to Jerusalem. They'll never crucify you there, right? And, and Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus was aware of what Satan was trying to do by putting fear or doubt in the Lord's mind. So, that's how the enemy works. He comes in disguise. And I found something to be true in my own life. The devil will come sometimes and whisper to me. And he has this unreal ability to make his voice sound just like mine. Maybe he'll whisper something like this. And this is one that he whispered to me. Rick, my dad died of leukemia when I was a year old. And for many years in my young adult life, I would hear this voice. You're going to die. You're going to die before you're 40. I just somehow almost embraced the idea that I was going to just go the way my dad did. I'm going to get some disease and I'm going to die early. Then I started having kids. Well, I didn't personally have kids. <laughs> this here is... Not a this is an implant, <laughs> right? People will come up to me and Google that, and I'll be like, look, I'm up here. <laughs> Anyhow, listen, I, I, I started having, we started having children, and then I was seized with the fear that my, dad, my children were going to be fatherless like their dad, like, like I was. And I rehearsed this in my mind for a lot of years, until I turned 40, and now I'm 41. I wish. I'm younger than Wally, though, my gosh. The Ancient of Days. I don't know where he is, but he should be hearing this. Praise God. All of these types of things that the enemy comes and whispers, listen to me carefully. 
Let me talk to married couples for a moment. Listen to the whisper. You married the wrong person. You really did. And, and some of you, you've been married for a long time now, but that still goes on. And so there's a, there's a bit of disdain in your heart, and it's always there. Man, if I would have married that girl in high school, if I would have hooked up with, with, with Mr. You know, Macho back then, and, and this haunts you because your whole life is spent thinking that you've missed God, you've missed the will of God. And the Lord is going to deliver you from that lie today. And you're going to receive a joy in your marriage that maybe you've never had before because you have been shot with a dart from the devil and you have believed it for many, many years. Some of us have believed the most outrageous things from fears to phobias to all kinds of things. Listen carefully. In order to minimize your effectiveness. Can I say something to you? And I can say it with authority over every one of you that are believers in Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to flatter you whatsoever. You are powerful people. You are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You have effective power within you to cast out demons and to heal sick people and to do all manner of good. And you have a power in you to build things that are far-reaching things to reach generations to come with the gospel of Christ. It is in you. You have that power. But if the devil can convince you otherwise, you will remain ineffective. Some of you have a call of God on your life that is so powerful, you are going to do more than your pastors. You're going to stand on their shoulders and you're going to do more than people, than, than people would ever have dreamed. But right now you're under such assault, such attack. And you have so many things, so many self-doubts, so many things going on inside of you that you don't know if you can ever get over even the first step to doing what God has called you to do. And today God wants to remove some of these darts and start you on the way to freedom. And it's a wonderful, wonderful walk. Might be something your father said, your mother said, your boss, your spouse, some kid on the playground when you were 11. And now you've been living that out in your life. It's a stronghold. It's a, it's a fiery dart. Now I want, to, I want to unfold this idea of a stronghold. What is it? What is a stronghold? If we have divine power to demolish strongholds, what are they? I suggest that a stronghold is a safe place for the devil. Let me, let me explain. When you read the Psalms, you will find many times when David will say, the Lord is my stronghold, right? The Lord is my safe place. The Lord is where I run to find help from trouble. So what is a stronghold of the devil? A stronghold of the devil is a place where the devil finds a safe place to hide. Where, does, where is the stronghold then? Where is the devil safe? I suggest that it's in your mind. For many of us, Satan has built a headquarters in our mind. 
And it's a safe place. He does his work from there. He comes and goes as he pleases, and he suggests things and lies to you and says all manner of things, and he is operating you like a puppet. And you, as long as you believe it, as long as you're buying it, you will behave accordingly. And you come to church, and you do your thing, and you put your offering in, but you're bound And you've been rendered ineffective. When the devil has a stronghold, it means that he is unable to be affected. He's unable to be harmed where he is. He's safe. Isn't it remarkable that as believers in Jesus, I'm not talking about possession. For those of you who saw the exorcist in the 70s, be at ease. I'm talking about warfare here. I'm talking about the strategies of the devil that affect our lives. And once we believe this thing, the devil, whatever lie it is, the devil begins to build this headquarters, this stronghold in our mind, and he is able to operate unhindered. Here's the good news. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. Some of us, you're you're so anxious You're full of anxiety and fear. Some depression has has enveloped you. Some, your your, your mind is so cluttered today. There's such a drag on you. And you think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get free? Let me me offer the disclaimer so that you don't have an issue with this. Some of you, listen, you need help. You need a counselor. Maybe you need some medicine. I'm no doctor. But I'm suggesting that for some of you, there's a headquarters in your brain. And you've allowed, through a series of lies, to believe what the devil has suggested to you. And you behave accordingly. I want you to listen one last time to 2 Corinthians 10.5, and then we're going to pray. And I believe you're going to be set free today. Paul said, we demolish arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God, right? And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. You want to know what your weapons are, your, the weapons that you have that, that have divine power? You want to know what they are? Truth. Jesus said it like this, and you know this scripture so well. He said in John 8, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It will make you walk in freedom. And all of a sudden, this spiritual warfare where there's principalities and powers and rulers and and the heavenly places, all of a sudden it's brought straight home. And this kind of warfare is very, very personal. And now we learn that we have the power through the truth of God to absolutely demolish those strongholds. And this is how we do it. Back to 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish these arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God or the truth. And listen, and we take captive every thought. And here's the kicker. We make it obey Christ. You take the thoughts that are in your mind that are contrary to the knowledge of God, that are contrary to the truth, and you make that thought obey Christ. You ever heard that 
when, when David says in the Psalms, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You know what he's doing right there? He's talking to his soul. He's saying to his own soul, soul, bless the Lord. He's taking charge of his soul. Some of you need to take charge of your mind. Your mind has been a freeway for the devil to come. I heard it earlier. You can't necessarily stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can certainly stop them from building a nest on your head. Right? So here's the reality. It is our responsibility to recognize the arguments and the lies in our minds that are contrary to God's word. Has your pastor ever encouraged you to read God's word? Raise your hand. Has he done it ad nauseum? Preachers everywhere, if they know God and they're trying to do their job, I do it all the time. I got a church and I'm constantly saying, get in the word. In fact, we used to do a skit in college. It went like this. In a national survey, four out of five born-again Christians recommend this in times of trouble and stress. What is this amazing cure-all that can solve all of your problems? That's right, the Bible. Marriage problems, try the Bible. Financial problems, get in the Bible. In fact, any problem at all, you guessed it, the Bible. So go over to that shelf and pick up that dusty thing and read it. Yeah. The, the pastor's trying to save your life. He's trying to save your life. He's trying to spare you of so much grief. Because if I tell you right now, listen, you need to take the lie that's going on in your head and you need to put the truth on it. But you don't know the truth. You don't know the Bible. You're stuck. Do you know what the Bible is called in, in the Bible? The sword of the Spirit. Wow. A two-edged sword in Hebrews that can cut to the very thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a powerful weapon. But if you don't know the Bible, you'd rather read the, you know, the, your romance novel or you'd rather read the sports page or whatever else. And, and you, you know every statistic of every football team, but you don't, can't quote a scripture. Go ahead and try to fight the devil's lies with the sports page. I'm not against sports. I made the best team win. And I hope I win the money <laughs> in my fantasy football league. But the reality is, you can't fight spiritual battles with earthly arguments. You've got to know the Word of God. A simple illustration works like this, and I'm going to wrap this up. Some of you have been believing the lie that you're not loved. I, I see this. I've seen it for years. People have a very hard time believing that God really loves them. And as a result... They, they don't know how to maybe even love themselves. And, and, and they don't believe that God's people love them. 
And they walk around and they sing songs to themselves. I'm just a poor boy. Nobody loves me. You know, and, and he hear, the devil shouts, you're just a poor boy from a poor family. And they believe it. Man, you sing that thing to yourself for 10, 15, 20 years, and pretty soon you're walking around slumped over. And when people actually come up and suggest, and they say they love you, you can't even receive it. Because you believe that nobody loves you. You look around the church, and you, somebody comes up and says, I love you, brother. They, put their, they give you a hug, and you say, you lie. You're a fake. Everybody in this church is fake. And you set yourself up. You, you literally are, 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 are a self-destructive person because you have the headquarters of hell running you like a puppet, like a marionette. So this is how you do it. The devil comes and he says, you're just a poor boy. Nobody loves you. And you know what you do? You take the word. And you say, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present today or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to clap for that one. And then pretty soon, you'll still hear the song. I'm just a poor, <laughs> right? You got to catch it because it'll keep coming. You'll quote that scripture and then a couple days later, you'll, just, you'll be stressed out. And you, I'm just a poor, <laughs> you quote the word. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor, I'm just, <laughs> and you know what happens? Pretty soon, you don't hear the song anymore. All you hear is the scripture. And then you realize that the stronghold, listen to me, has been demolished. And Satan no longer has a safe place in your head to lie to you in that fashion. And you take every lie of the devil from every area of your life as you read the word of God and you say, you know what, I believe this for for years, but this is the truth. And you begin to do it again and you do it again. And pretty soon, listen, you demolish the stronghold and then you tie up the strong man. And you know what the Bible says? Once you tie up the strong man, you plunder his goods. What, are, what has he stolen from you? He's stolen your peace. He's stolen your love. He's stolen your joy. He's stolen your hope for the future. He's stolen your ministry. He stole from me eight years of trying to reach my city. I've got it back. I'm sick and tired of what he's stolen from me. Anybody sick and tired of what the devil is trying to steal? I want you to stand to your feet, church. Come on. Stand to your feet. And I just want to take you through one simple exercise. I'm not going to... There's no way that we even have time to work through all of the issues, all of the lies that we've believed over the years. But I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you, everybody to do it so that you can... that you really respect the privacy of those around you. And this is what I want to ask. What is it in your mind that you have been believing that is sapping you of your strength? Husbands and wives, listen. What is it about your spouse that you've been believing that is a lie? 
You haven't even recognized it's a fiery dart, but right now you're getting a revelation. Oh my gosh, the devil has been trying to destroy my marriage with this thought. The grass is greener. Some of you have been, you know, you've you got a little something going on with your secretary at the office. Listen, that's not chemical, little chemical thing that, you, oh, I should be with this person. No, that's devil. That's a fiery dart. Run for your life. Whatever it is, something your father said to you when you were young, your mother said, somebody, somebody said something to you about the way you look or the way you talk or the way you dress, whatever it is, somebody did something where there's a fiery dart in you and you believed it and it has affected your behavior. Now I'm going to show you how critical it is for you to know the Word of God. Right now I want you to bring a truth to mind in God's Word that is contrary to that lie and apply it to that lie. And when you do so and you begin to rehearse it, that stronghold that is in your mind will be demolished. For some of you that have believed you're not loved, my gosh, what a lie of the devil. The love that you have and the love that God has for you is so overwhelming that it's impossible for you to even grab hold of it. One last thing. If you don't, haven't been able to put a truth to your mind, you have to grab hold of it from God's Word, and you're going to have to rehearse this and get a hold of it through personal Bible study. But Allison's going to come, and she's going to sing one more thing that some of you believed is a lie. You have not believed that you are who God said you are. And as we sing this, I want you to destroy that lie in Jesus' name. Listen to this carefully. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Believe it. Sing it, church. I am chosen, not forsaken. Why am you say I am? Believe it. You are for me, not against me. Why am you say I am? I am you say I am. The sun sets free. That's it. That's it. I'm a child of God. Yes, I Put your hands on your temples and believe it. Your mind is a battlefield of hell. Go ahead. We demolish strongholds in this place in the name of Jesus. We trust that your truth will set us free, God. Every man and woman in here walking in freedom and hope and power in Jesus' name. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I am who 